right, Casey, uh, easiest question, hardest question at the same time is question one. But how did you magically fall into franchising? What's your franchise story? Yeah, it's funny you say that. I think we all kind of fell into it, right? I don't think we chose this path, but uh, I got the opportunity to get into the franchising world through a, um, a an additional or former dessert concept called Sweet Frog Frozen Yogurt out of Richmond, Virginia. Uh, it's funny because uh, in like 2007, 2008, our business school was doing case studies on that and just kind of seeing this young fledgling kind of, you know, merging a frozen dessert concept. Uh, and uh, we got out of school and went, me and my buddy would go there every Sunday after NFL games. And we we're like, this is really good. You know, it's fun. It's good. It's a cool environment. Great brand. Uh, we started going there at the end of the season and by the end of the uh, beginning of the season, by the end of the season, playoff time, like it's December, January, February, and the line keeps on getting longer and longer and longer and longer. Uh, and he was like an associate at a private equity firm. I was like, man, I don't know a lot about private equity, but I know this is something pretty good to look at. And so uh, long story short, they looked at it, um, did a kind of an investment into it and they said, hey, we're going to think about franchising it. And do you want to jump in with us and, and help us franchise it? So that was my foray into uh, to franchising. Uh, we started, I think they had about 33 corporate stores and in two and a half years, we had almost 400 locations across the country. So uh, it was cool and definitely my story is um, the only thing I know about franchising is an emerging brand, right? And so that was my, you know, I jumped in, had to do everything from legal to real estate to, you know, uh, the franchise development process, a little bit of the opening process and just seeing a team collectively work together to build a kind of a world-class brand was pretty special because a lot of people don't get to do that. And so uh, kind of foraying into my passion and what I do today is I use that experience uh, from that as well as building a big national brand like Marco's Pizza and taking both, you know, the pods and negatives of both those concepts and helping new emerging brands grow the right way. And so that's kind of um, what I do today and I absolutely love it. And Jeremiah's is one of those brands we do that with and it's um, absolutely fantastic. All right, so ton, ton to unpack. First, the, the thing that's in my head, because you said as NFL, you would watch NFL football games into January and February. I mean, my team's the Chicago Bears. I stopped watching in December because they don't play in January. That means you have to have a team that's better than mine. Well, we used to be good. Uh, unfortunately, not anytime recently. So I am, I am from Texas. I am from Dallas. So I am a Cowboys fan. Um, and so uh, we always have our hopes looking pretty good come playoff time, and they usually get uh, decimated pretty quickly the first game. But, um, you know, I just, I'm a big football guy. I played college football at the University of Richmond and just love the sport, love kind of what it stands for, and just, you know, hanging out with the guys and gals and watching games on Saturday and Sunday. There's nothing better to it. And so that was kind of one of our cool things we did is we just got – got frozen yogurt, you know, every Sunday after the games and just kind of became a, a cool tradition and habit. And they kind of forayed us into this whole realm of, of the business world that we never thought was possible. So. All right. Another, another thing that I want to unpack, actually, before I unpack it, I, I do, I have a, a new thing that I place a hundred dollar bill or a hundred dollar bet on a team to win the Super Bowl at the very end of the previous Super Bowl. So last year I did chiefs. I got it. And at the end of the Super Bowl, I put $100 on the Cowboys to win this year. So 
we'll see what happens. Well, I, I would I would feel really good about that bet until yesterday. Yesterday, it was not the right Cowboys team that showed up. So hopefully, uh, hopefully they get back to the drawing board and uh, get back to the basics because yesterday was not a good showing at all. So. All right. So I think about what you were saying. You're like, I after the games, we're, we're going and we're watching the lines increase. And I would imagine like that experience for brands that have really solid franchise growth. That's really where the lead generation comes from. It's like Shake Shack's not a franchise, but it, the perception of lines out the door, if they were, they would sell tons of franchises just purely on the on the consumer affinity for it. If you look at that as a governor, like trying to look at just the consumer excitement, how important do you think that is to lead generation? I think it's pretty massive. I mean, a good example is for Jeremiah's Italian Ice. I think over 90% of our franchisees were customers first, right? And so uh, for any emerging brand, especially in the food or QSR business, which is kind of what we do at PGP, I think it's really important to have people that tried your product first. And a lot of times it is customers, right? It's customers that are like, wow, I absolutely love this. This is such a cool new concept. You know, as you grow an emerging brand, you're growing into cities that have never seen the brand before. So it's this kind of like new, cool, hip, fun place with a great product. And they're like, wow, I'm blown away by this. Like, tell me more. Um, I think also traditionally too, in the emerging food QSR space, when you kind of turn the franchising uh, button, I think a lot of times there's also this, um, kind of loyalist group, right? They may be individuals that have been fans since 1996. For example, Jeremiah's Life's been around since 96. You've had a lot of people following that brand for a long time, right? Uh, people that grew up as kids going there, became really successful business people, and their dream was was one day to own a Jeremiah's, right? So I think you have kind of two unique groups of customers that kind of see uh, the brand kind of turning on that franchising opportunity. You have like this, you know, loyalist from the beginning and you also have these brand new customers that are like wow this is absolutely fantastic um go to the website they see that they're franchising and they can't wait to learn more about it if you think through jeremiah's or any of the other brands in the in the portfolio you think through you how you would evaluate a business whether it's it's viable uh do you have structure that you look at are you looking at the financials first then validation is there a structure that you would approach if you were going to go become a franchisee or if you guys are looking at brands to partner with that's a good question we, from a high level perspective we look at the four c's is what we look for it's concept control capital and culture right and really capital becomes last because as long as you're doing those three things we can go find capital whether it's internal external whether it's raising money whatever it needs to be done the capital is a fairly easy thing if you have those first three things really solid um i think a lot of people um i would say in franchising they find the concept and they start franchising right like hey we have a really hot cool concept sales are great you know we've opened a couple additional locations let's turn on the franchising button we, you blow it up in franchise sales and all of a sudden since the controls weren't there and the culture wasn't there, it flames out, right? And I think that's kind of unfortunate why we see a big failure rate in franchising is concept becomes key and everything else kind of gets, you know, either for, forgotten or we'll figure that out later. And sometimes growth, you know, goes a little too fast and it's hard to keep up with the other two op uh, opportunities there or, or aspects there. Um, but I think really it's, you know, understanding, especially kind of the merging space and the brands we work with, 
you know, they have been very good at corporate growth, right? It's build a store and then a couple more years, maybe build another store. And then maybe we get really good in a couple of years to build two stores, right? And so that's a really good cadence of just, you know, good growth, right? From a corporate perspective. Now I'm franchising, you might be opening a store, you know, your first year, you might open a store every month, right? And the next year you might be opening a store every two, you know, every six weeks, right? And it's just getting faster and faster and faster. And I think that comes into the the thing that we try to deliver to our brands is the culture of growth and what that looks like. And how do you go from a concept that's emerging where you're signing up your first franchisee and taking them through the development process to like a marketers where opening a store every three and a half days, right? So how do you build a brand here to get to that and be able to eliminate the blind spots and the growth over the next three to five years to be able to give that brand the best chance of that success? And I think it's just changing that, hey, we're a corporate company and now we're a franchise company. That's just a different way, a different thought process, um, different understanding. You've had a lot of customers, you know, as a, as a some sort of corporate concept. And now you have this new whole bucket of customers, which are franchisees, you know, feelings, beliefs, uh, different experiences they're bringing to the table. And like kind of how you facilitate that is you kind of have to start thinking like, that's my primary customer now. Now that you're in the franchising business, your franchisees are your primary customers. And it just takes a little bit, you know, a little bit of coaching, a little bit of time for um, a company that's been focused on corporate growth to kind of transition to that. Yeah, I think very, very few brands have growth culture. And I'm glad, I'm glad that you said that because some, sometimes uh, it's the fault of the CEO that you're in a room and CEO goes, next year I want 50 deals. Like, okay, what did you do last year? Like 10. Okay, so we're going to multiply the budget by five. They're like, no, same budget. It's like, right. well, automatically then in that scenario, one, you're selling franchises, not awarding franchisees. Two, you're not thinking about the right scale. And you're you're actually probably stressing out an internal team that they're going to fail. Like they're set up for failure. So the, the growth mindset isn't there. Um, I remember being uh, in a restaurant brand in Denver um, with the development team and the marketing team. And I said, hey, like, it'd be really cool to get the franchise message in here. I'm, I'm not talking about like franchising on a napkin or a cup. I'm saying like, let's tell the story of the owner operator. Marketing goes, absolutely not. We do not sell franchises in these units. I'm like, well, that's not a growth culture because marketing is already building conflict with sales. And so if I just take those two elements as one and two, like the reality is it's like winning in franchising is not overly hard. You have a good vision from the leader. You have a point of differentiation on the product. The cost to get in and how much you can make is sound. The validation remains. Your growth strategy is good. Those are those are the table stakes. And then when you go to work, you hold true to that that growth culture where everybody is championing around franchisee success so that the sales just keep on staying really, really steady. And so it's, the blueprints are here, but very few brands follow that, mm-hmm. which obviously leaves opportunity for you guys to step in and, and help someone or look at a Jeremiah's that has a, has a good starting point. And now you're going to come in there and say, okay, let's, let's really build this structure so we can accelerate it. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things we try to do is the best we can from the beginning with any type of founder say, here's the org chart, right? Here's the org chart in 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28. And it's all based on the number of units, right? You know, adding X amount more units, these, you know, X amount more people and build ops, right? And marketing and supporting the franchisees. 
And I think kind of building that vision forwards and saying, okay, Mr. or Mrs. Founder, like what's your goal? In five years, do you want a hundred million dollar company? Do you want 200 units? Like what's your goal, right? And then we work backwards saying, okay, if this is your goal in five, seven years, whatever that timeline is, here's today. And you gotta do all these things over the next seven years to hit that goal, right? And it's very mathematic, it's very formulated based off the number of deals you need, the number of locations, signed leases you need. Um, the number of stores you got to open, even kind of looking forward, like the number of actual leads you need, right? We know this many leads equals this many deals signed, this many deals signed, this, this many leases signed, this many successful store openings, mean this many current owners become multi-unit owners, kind of a whole pipeline we build of saying, here, it's like, we're not hiding anything, like transparency. Look, if you truly want to get this, it's going to take this amount of work, right? This amount of people, this amount of investment. Um, and I think it's really good clarity for the founder because I really think it's everyone to kind of see some of the brand successes out there. It's like, oh yeah, I could do that. I guess totally do 200 stores in five years. So it's like, okay, well, this is what it takes, right? And so um, you absolutely can as long as you have this amount of capital and that's people and investment. And um, you know, obviously all the other things we've talked about, you got to check the box down. But as long as you have the good plan in place and stick to it. It's certainly possible, but I think some people just see this and say, oh, yeah, like I can replicate that. And they don't see all the work behind the scenes and all the planning and the, all the people it takes to get to that. It's not just uh, it's not just signing a bunch of franchise agreements. Right. I think, you know, it's that's 10 percent of it really. Right. So. Well, and if you if you try to find a, a Cinderella story and sometimes not even that that much of a Cinderella story, like I, I remember when five guys uh had its explosive growth in the you know 2005 to 2012 range people are like holy smokes this thing's mm -hmm. exploding the reality is the brand had been around since 1984 and so like the mindset shifts that had to go through to get from 84 to 2005 right. were tremendous and so i think we we get really excited about looking around at maybe competitor brands that take off or an emerging brand might look at a, a competitor brand and say, oh, we, I want to grow like that. But if they don't put the capital in and they don't put the people in and they don't put the process in and they can't create profitability for their, their franchisees when they get open, it, it just never takes off. And so uh, engineering that. So I would imagine now, whether it's Jeremiah's or it's one of your other brands, it's more like the widget of what Casey does versus customizing it per brand. Like, you, you know, the blueprint is that an accurate statement? Yeah, I, mean, I think 60 to 70% is kind of the PGP way of growing concepts. And then the yeah. rest is the brand, right? You know, we're, we're, we're going to certainly kind of give them recommendations on, you might want to tweak this or tweak that. But I mean, the reason we go through the process of due diligence on our side is just finding high quality brands, high quality people to work with, right? So, you know, outside of just addressing what's happening in the world, like a good example is, supply chain and the construction issues. Like our first year Mize opened right in the middle of COVID, COVID in June of 2020. You know, no one expected that as an emerging brand, right? So it's like, okay, we gotta figure out how to decrease costs, you know, how to alleviate some of these supply chain issues for a concept that only has a handful of franchise locations across the country. So um, certainly that is kind of problem solving with the brand. But I mean, I think the biggest thing is having something that um, is kind of replicatable from the PGP's process perspective. And it's not like we're doing anything that's astronomically different than just being true to the brand, building that process, uh, 
having a process of accountability, you know, we're accountable to our, our franchise partners and, and, and vice versa and ensuring everyone's successful in their own right. I think one of the things we really do a big thing on our side is ensuring franchisee and franchise are success. You know, and I think if you truly look at that from, from the perspective of how does the franchisee win, how does the franchise absorb win, sometimes in those conversations that the, the meter might tilt a little left to the franchisor, sometimes it might need to tilt a little right to the franchisee. But at the end of the day, if that relationship is really, really strong and we can help facilitate that with our experience, um, that gives the brand the best chance of success and that growth. For clarity, are you guys taking equity positions in the brand or are you taking on the role of outsourced franchise development? What is what is your, what's the ideal? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. So we do, in regards to equity, we look at our, our personnel, our capital and people, as well as financial, right? And the biggest thing we do is kind of bolt on as the franchise development company for that, right? So everything from the, the franchise, I call it discovery process for some, someone raising their hand to signing a, a franchise agreement, all the way to the development process. So signing your agreement to opening your store, uh, we come in with our team and kind of help you develop that process initially and then kind of execute that through the franchising program. And so I think that's what's unique about us is we love to get in the mud with our clients. You know, we're looking at real estate with them. We are, you know, going through the franchising process with them, um, and then certainly giving them C-level guidance on, hey, okay, let's strategically think about next year. Let's think about three or five years away. What's keeping you up at night? What are things we can help you with with our experience in opening 4,000 locations across the country? And just being like, let's just think about it this way, right? One of the things that we've done is like we've done stuff, you know, not necessarily the right way in the past, right? So let's learn from our mistakes and do better for each brand we do to, to bring in as well. And so I think that's a lot of the things we can bring in. It's just best practices and things that we've tried in the past that worked really well. And some things that we tried in the past that didn't, you know, you accelerate that learning curve for new brands. Again, another asset to them to be able to, to learn a little bit faster from their side and, and grow a little bit better that way as well. So I, I like shifting to what you want ghost prospects to know about you. And obviously you have the brands that you work with. So it's a little bit trickier because I think ghost prospect here is both franchise buyers and, and franchisors. But anything else you want to know, someone that's maybe watched up to this point to know about who you are, what you do, uh, that maybe can help. Yeah, that's a great question. I think from the franchisee's perspective, um, you know, if you're looking or interested in kind of what's the next latest and greatest brand in the QSR space, you know, I, we think we have quite a few that are, are attractive to that um, in different ranges, right? You know, you know, some people might be really good experienced QSR individuals that might fit one of our brands that might be brand new to franchising that might fit another one of our brands, right? We kind of have different buckets with different types of franchisees. Um, but I think from the, from that perspective, understanding and knowing that when they talk to us, they're talking to a brand that's been vetted from our perspective, but also they got to understand that we're there to help that brand be successful as well. Again, from the uh, capital, personal, as well as financial capital to be able to come in there and have the people and the processes and the systems in place to give them as the franchisee the best chance of success within that system as well. Um, from a brand's perspective, uh, I would like, you know, we really try to like, uh, have brands know we come from a place of transparency and accountability. You know, we're going to tell people exactly what we think through the due diligence process. Uh, sometimes we tell a brand, you know, go try XYZ and come back, and that's okay too. Uh, the biggest thing that we're, we really want to make sure we turn on the franchising button, it's the best process and plan it possibly can be. You know, I think a lot of times, 
people are over franchising concepts and it's a lot of work to fix that if it doesn't go well, right? And so the best you can do, take a little bit more time, you know, go test yourself a little bit more, go open a couple new markets to test franchising. There's different things that we kind of tell brands to do to say, hey, like, let's really make sure you're ready for this because when you turn that button on, you can never turn it on again. It's, it's on, right? And so we really want to make sure we're doing our due diligence to be able to set the brand and the team up for success, not only the first couple of years, but but for as long as you know we're all together in it. Look, Casey, from falling into this industry uh, on accident to where you are today, uh, quite impressive background. Thanks for sharing your story. Uh, and obviously, I've I've kept the site up on the screen for anybody that's trying to find you. Uh, hey. But like you're you're on a great pathway. I'm uh, glad we got to get connected and and talk a little bit about your story. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having us, and uh, we look forward to, to talking again soon. Right. For Casey, I'm Nick. This is another episode of Meet the Zor with an asterisk of Meet the Supplier at the same time.